I'll invite you this morning uh, to turn in your Bibles to two chapters, actually two texts. Uh, the first one is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, and John 1, verse 14. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, you'll see these blue Bibles on the chairs here. Uh, we want you to have a copy of God's Word, so if you do not have one, please feel free to take one home with you. We know where to get more, uh, so please... Feel free to take one with you. Have a copy of God's Word. But you want to turn there and have your finger in two spots, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, and John 1, verse 14. Uh, last week, if you remember, we spoke in speaking of John the Baptist and focusing on him. There was that, there was that, um, that verse that Dean cited where John the Baptist says, I must, I must decrease, but he must increase. And so this morning... Um, as we focus on this and think about this, thinking about the challenge of glorifying God in our words and our deeds. Um, we're going to be talking about that this morning with these two texts. But let me read for us first this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, and then we'll jump over to John 1, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence this morning wanting to seek your glory, wanting you to shine bright even on a day today when it's overcast and rainy. Father, we ask that you would shine bright in our hearts this morning, that you would help us to grasp in deeper ways your glory, your greatness, your majesty. Do that, I pray, and speak through me this morning. Through your humble servant, may I preach your truth to your people. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. As some of you know, uh, we lived in Arizona for six years <clears throat> before coming back here recently this past May. Uh, we used to be in Charlotte six years ago where I did RTS. And then we moved to Arizona where I pastored for six years and then back here again last um, uh, beginning of June of last year. Uh, but living in Arizona for six years, one of the things you have to do, you have to go see the Grand Canyon. You can't pass on that, right? One of the seven wonders of the world. And as a family, we got the chance to go there a couple times because it was only a couple hours away. And I remember going there because it was my first time. I've never seen the Grand Canyon. Heard a lot of things, seen a lot of pictures, see a lot of videos, a lot of people talking to you about how great it is. Uh, but I, we go there and... It is, it is, it's everything they say it is and more. And it's hard to describe because I can't even describe it to you and put it into words what it's like when you're standing there on the south rim, which is where most people are, and it's the afternoon sun, and you're looking at this thing, and it's so vast, has so much depth, so much breadth, your eyes go buggy. They can't take it in. It almost looks fake. It almost looks like it's so picturesque you want to reach out and go. You want to knock it down. You want to like see someone in the distance, the curtain, or the curtain pull apart. 
Because it's this, almost doesn't look real, looks surreal. But yet it's there. You're beholding it. And you're like, wow, this is really beautiful. Even though it's just rocks, red and browns in different hues as the sun hits it. It is beautiful and majestic and vast. And even as I describe it, some of you have been there and you know what I'm talking about. But for some of you, you haven't been there. And all you're looking to are my words, what I'm saying. But yet, you can grasp an aspect of it, of how great and majestic and wonderful it actually is. Well, God is great and majestic. None of us have beheld his glory. None of us have seen him face to face. And what we've been given is we've not only been given Christ in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we've been given his word that communicates and shows us and and reveals to us God and his great glory. The term that's used for glory uh, in the Old Testament is this term called kavod, which comes, com- carries with it this idea of something that is weighty, something that is heavy, something that is important. In other words, that which is glorious is very important, is very weighty, is something to take notice of. And God is described as that all through what's called uh, the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. God is described in there as glorious. This morning, we are going to take a look at this glorious God. We are going to look at his greatness, his majesty. But as we look at this, just as we thought through this morning during our confession, we don't always honor him and always point to him as we should with our lives. A lot of times, sometimes it's uh, overt that we want the glory for ourselves and we'll do things in our world, we'll work situations, we'll do things, say things, post things, orchestrate things so that we get the glory instead of God. I know this because I have done it. I who stand before you am guilty of this. Especially with, I'll I'll just share one thing with you, my competency. I prize being competent, being well prepared. Who shouldn't, right? All of us should. But yet, how many times does that go overboard in my own heart and life to where that becomes not a thing where we should just encourage one another, which is good, which is what God has designed us for as the body, but it goes further beyond that to where I'm looking for praise from those around me. I'm seeking their praise of me instead of pointing to the Lord. I don't know where it shows up in your life. I don't know where you see, where you do not give God glory, but I want you to think about that this morning. And I want you to meditate on that in your heart as we go through this, because what I want us to do this morning is I want us to see and to savor this glorious God, the God of glory in Jesus Christ. And that seeing and savoring this, this will overflow into our hearts and that we will live differently in our lives where we will give glory to God in our words, and in our deeds. So come with me this morning. I want to take a look at this glorious God in Jesus Christ. And where we're going to start is we're going to go back. We're going to go through Scripture this morning because Scripture is the best way, the way in which we are going to know about this glorious God, the God of glory in Jesus Christ. 
And so let's turn to these pages. And I'm going to cite scriptures and we're going to go through passages. But don't worry if you can't get it all down. We're going to, it's going to be a lot. We're going to go through it. But come with me and let's take a look anew at this glorious God, the God of glory in Jesus Christ. Well, what is this God of glory in Christ? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the first half of the Bible, the 39 books called the Old Testament from Genesis through Malachi. And then there's the New Testament from Matthew through Revelation. But we're going to start in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, we meet a people there, a chosen people called Israel. And Israel is in Egypt. And God had already said that they would be his people. They are the 12 tribes descended from Jacob who was Abraham's uh, distant uh, son, uh, son. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob and his 12 had 12 sons, and these 12 sons become Israel. And this tribe eventually went into Egypt. And in Egypt, they became enslaved by the Egyptians. But God comes to them, and he reveals himself in glorious ways. He rescues them out of Egypt, delivers them. And as they are leaving Egypt, Pharaoh has changed his mind. He's decided he wants them back. And so he pursues them. And they come to this place called the Red Sea in Exodus 14.4. And God says there that he is going to have his glory be shown over Pharaoh. And what he does is something great. He parts the sea. The people pass through. And God is seen as glorious, and the sea falls back on top of Pharaoh and his army, and they perish. But as God is with them, and he takes them into the wilderness, he displays and shows himself, going with them, his presence. A couple ways we see that is that he gives them manna in Exodus 16, 7. He reveals his glory. They're grumbling and complaining that they don't have food. And God, in his incredible glory, He gives them manna from heaven, just creates it every morning. They can go out and have it and eat and be satisfied. And he provides for them. But they travel on. As they travel on, they go, they come to this place called Mount Sinai. And as they come to Mount Sinai, they come to this mountain where they're going to receive God's law. So if you kind of look at it in their terms of their life, God came to them. And said, I will be your God. You will be my people. And he rescued them. And he pulled them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And it's this picture as they come to the mountain. Now it's, now walk in my ways. And they're going to receive the law, the Ten Commandments. God's commands. They're going to be commanded to walk in his ways. But God manifests himself in an incredible way on the top of Mount Sinai. He comes down in clouds. And there's thunder. And there's lightning. And the ground trembles. There's thunder. And the people are so afraid. They say, you speak with him. Don't don't let him speak to us because they're so afraid. And they behold his glory in the clouds. Well, God goes with them beyond this and continues to show them them his glory. He he, He manifests himself as a pillar of cloud by the wilderness on the way to the promised land. But then at night, it's a flaming pillar of fire. I often thought that would be kind of the coolest thing as a kid. That at night, you could open the flaps of your tent, and there you see this, the the world's 
most enormous nightlight and say, look, there's God. His glorious presence is with us. It's okay. He is with us. And you see that pillar of cloud by day and you say, he is with us. And he goes before us. And he must go before us or else we will perish. But at night, you get to look out and see that ginormous nightlight. There's God in all of his glory. He's with us. He has not left us. It's a beautiful picture. And so God in his glory, he continues to travel with his people. And as they, have, as they are instructed to build a tabernacle, which is basically a moving temple, a moving worship place, kind of like what we would do. Imagine if we had to pack this up, move to another city each week, have worship, pack it up, move to another place each week. Um, but God is with them as they travel and set this up, and he manifests himself in it, inside that tabernacle every time. His presence is there. He descends upon it. But then also, once they had built the temple, the final residence, so to speak, um, in Jerusalem, he manifests, he enters it with his glory. We see this in passages like in the tab- where he fills the tabernacle in Exodus 40. And then when he fills the temple at its completion in 1 Kings 8. You know, we see that there. And God is, his glory, it, it's represented as heavy, weighty, pure. It's commanding. It's great. It's majestic. It's comforting. It's all those things. And God's people get to behold him. There's so much more we could say on that. But then we come to the New Testament. And as we think of God manifesting himself, showing himself as a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and then being reminded that God is with us. Then we have Jesus, who, as we just read this morning in John 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word there is a word that means tabernacled. In other words, John is pointing back and saying, just as God was with them, In the Old Testament, now he is actually with us, inside us. He has come and he has dwelt among us in Christ. God himself took on a body, took on something he had never taken on before, took on a body, and he came in this Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. And Jesus' presence was among his people. And now that he's ascended into heaven, he's with us through his spirit. And it's no longer we look to a place, but yet he's in us and he's with us. All those who've put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the New Testament, we encounter this Jesus, the son of God, fully God, fully man, who had this glory at the beginning. Listen to what the writer says in Hebrews 1, chapter 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. John points out this pre-existent glory that he had in in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Let me just read a few verses as Jesus is praying here. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus, 
His preexistent glory is there. And He comes down, and as He comes down, He manifests His glory in different ways. In one scene in Luke chapter 9, we see Jesus' glory at what's called the transfiguration, where He takes Peter, James, and John, and they go up on the mountain to pray. And as they're on the mountain praying, Jesus is transformed into like, to this, into his, his glorious self. And Peter, James, and John, they see him and they see Elijah comes and Moses is there. And this glory is revealed and they get a glimpse of it. Of this incredible glory. Because God has manifested himself showing who he is to them. But then it gets better. Um, it moves on and we see Jesus manifest his glory as we just read about this morning in John chapter 1, verse 14, where he came down, he was in the flesh, he was with them, God incarnate. But then he revealed his glory at the miracle at Cana. It says there in John 2.11 that he, he revealed his glory there, as we talked about a few weeks ago as we were going through John, uh, John chapter 2. But he also revealed his glory in raising Lazarus, Lazarus in John chapter 11. You, know, you see him as he calls Lazarus from the tomb. You see him manifesting. It says there that he manifests his own glory as well as his father's. He revealed it there. But what is probably most paradoxical is how Jesus and how the scriptures speak of how Jesus' glory is revealed in the cross. An instrument of torture, a place of suffering and here you see these two things come together between the suffering of Jesus and his glory being revealed. And you think, how could something that looks so bad, an instrument of torture, be something that is revealed as so glorious? And it's here that in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it transcends both the suffering and his glory. And they come together. And you see that in his suffering, sacrificial atonement for the sins of his people that his glory shines bright and he is glorious because he has done this glorious thing coming down dying on the cross for the sins of his people so that they can have life he is glorious and now Christ doesn't just stay in the tomb but rather he is raised to glory as it says by the Father in Romans 6, verse 4. But not only that, he shares in this glory. Listen to these words from Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And not only that, Paul goes on. He calls him the Lord of glory in 1 Corinthians 2.8. James calls him the same thing, the Lord of glory in James 2 verse 1. And we see that he is the God, the Lord of glory. But now he is with the Father. And as he is with the Father interceding for us, he also 
dispenses the riches of His glory in supplying our need. Hear these words from Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He shares those riches with us. What are those riches? What does that mean exactly? Well, Paul points this, brings this out to us in 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18. He gives us a little clue into this, how every need of ours, according to his riches and glory in Christ, will be supplied. Listen to these words of Paul. He says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we see Paul pointing out how these riches and glory were provided for him, that he will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Gives us a glimpse, it gives us a picture of exactly what that looks like and what that means. What's the bottom line here? The bottom line is that through Jesus, we see God's glory. And there's a verse here. I read it at the very beginning in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And I want to read it again and take a look at it of how we see how through Jesus, God's glory is seen. And hear this verse again from 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is the one, right, at the beginning of time who said, let there be light. And instantly there was light. And light shines into the darkness. And there was light. And he has shown into the hearts of his people with the illumination, the understanding, the illumination in our hearts of the knowledge of God of God's glory in the face of Christ Jesus. So that as we see Jesus, who he is, what he has done, we behold God's incredible glory. Now I was trying to think here as Paul gives us that loaded statement, how do we understand this? That when he says, um, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do you understand all that one after another, after another, of, 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 of? How does that all come together? I seem to get lost in that. Do you? But as, so let's envision this. If you are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what, what he's saying here, so I want you to imagine that the cave of your heart, inside the cave of your heart, what is shining on the walls of your heart is the face of Christ. Imagine there is a shadow puppet on the wall of your heart of Christ. That as you look at that, you see the glory of God. Why? Because as you see Christ, you see who He is and what He has done. And as you see that light inside your heart, you can give glory to God as you meditate and think upon those things. We have not beheld Christ with our eyes. 
We have not beheld him with our eyes, but one day we will see him in all of his glory. It tells us this in 1 John 3, verse 2. And we are waiting for that day. Our reservations have been confirmed. There's no cancellations. We will not be bumped. But rather, we are seated with him now in the heavenly realms, as it says in Ephesians 2, verses 5 and 6. And we are there with him. But for now, we have his word. And his word tells us of his glory. We have his spirit inside our hearts, illuminating us, giving us understanding about his glory. And even more, we will share in this glory. Do you realize that? Scriptures speak of this. Just a few texts. Philippians 3.21. Colossians 3.4. Listen to these words in Colossians 3.4. These promises are yours. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Isn't that a great promise? Not only are we seated with him in the heavenly realms, but listen to this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's amazing. I know we have flown through this this morning, but have you seen and savored the glory of God in Christ? As you behold his face, as that light shines in your heart, do you see who he is and what he has done? And that through him you can see God is glorious. He is majestic. He is great. He is heavy. He is weighty. He is important. This challenges us, doesn't it? This challenges us to stop diverting the glory to ourselves that rightly belongs to him. It rightly challenges us to stop our identity theft. To stop being identity thieves. Where we are stealing God's glory and trying to channel it for ourselves. I don't know the ways in which you struggle with that or the ways in which that comes comes about in your life. But think about that this morning. About how we can give God glory. One of the ways that can help us is to think about how he has been so selflessly glorious. How he has given us salvation and guaranteed that we will share in his glory. That is a tremendous grace and a truth that should turn our hearts to him. He is worthy of our worship. We will share in his glory one day in full. And he promises to supply our every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And we are seated with him now in the heavenly realms. And we will one day be with him in full, completely, seeing his incredible glory. Reminded of Paul's words, so whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all for the glory of God. May our lives be signs, signs that point to him, saying he is glorious. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you. 
We want to behold you in your glory in greater ways. Father, you have revealed your glory to us in the face of Christ. You have shown into our hearts that as we behold Christ, we see your incredible glory. That as we behold who your Son is and what he has done, that we see you as great and majestic, loving, pure, holy, good. All of those things, Father, we see that. Father, will you help us to grasp this because my words fail. Words fail to really explain for us to really see that you are great and majestic and we need you once again to show us to blow on the embers of our hearts and to fan that into a flame so that we see how great and awesome and wonderful you are and that we would live for you in greater ways, pointing to you, giving you the glory and the honor and the praise that you alone are due. Help us to live this way, I pray. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen.